My experience is that you meet one person in, in Israel and they say, here's 10 people you have to meet. And you're like, well, my schedule is booked, so I'll have to come back. And then you come back and then they go, each person you meet says, here's 10 people you've got to meet and say, oh, I already know. I already know two of them. And then you come back and eventually they go, here's 10 people you have to meet. And like, actually, I know them all. I know them all. I know everybody now. And it's just an amazing, uh, it's actually a magical uh startup ecosystem and vibe and like mission driven everything but let's let's talk about valuations the um if you're investing in like kind of a seed deal that's got that kind of revenue traction that you discussed that's pre-series a um what would the valuation be for guys like you that are going to fund it when it's in israel and then fund it again when it maybe moves to the u.s what Hello, and welcome to Fireside with the VC. My name is Andrew Romans, and today we're speaking with Andrew, Andrew Gershfield, who's a partner and co-founder of Flint Capital in Boston. And they also have offices in Palo Alto and Tel Aviv. Andrew, great to see you. It, did I get that right? You guys are, you're in Boston, you got Palo Alto and Tel Aviv. Am I missing one? Uh, actually, we, we're not permanently based in Palo Alto, so we don't have an exact office there. We, okay. we, we yeah. Yeah, we are in Boston and Tel Aviv, so that's uh, two our major uh, hubs, and okay. uh, it, it it actually corresponds with the strategy we actually do uh, at Flint. Okay, yeah, so we- well, let's let's dive into that. I mean, we'll talk about your journey. I also want I know you're a candidate at the Kaufman Fellowship. I'm curious to hear what your experience is there. If that's like most people I speak to love it, um, but uh, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. But let's start with the strategy. So. I think you guys are investing out of fund four right now. I think we're, you were saying that you started investing in 2013, but then it, you got fell into like a fund one structure by 2016. Maybe tell us wh- what are you investing in now kind of stage sector geography? Yeah, sure. Uh, the main The main idea behind all the funds is that we try to help entrepreneurs that emerge outside of the US to get to the US market and the, uh, and specifically in the domain of enterprise software and B2B. So the majority of our investments, given that kind of focus, they come from Israel. And that explains why we have a Tel Aviv office actually. So I would roughly say that in initial uh, funds, our strategy was less defined and we had a lot of different experiments around what kind of investments would we be doing. Uh, we've done a lot of consumer mobile things and quite successfully, uh, but learned a lot from that. Uh, and uh, we, we did a lot of uh, experiments around, I would say, new technologies that were buzzwords at different times of things and learned in, in about uh, those fields. But the bread and butter and the thing that we actually understand lies in the B2B space. So currently we do invest in infrastructure uh, software. We do invest in uh, B2B applications, enterprise applications. We do invest in cybersecurity. We do invest in health tech. And uh, as I explained, uh, we like entrepreneurs that are actually 
uh, reaching out to the U.S. market from outside. So we do investments in Israel, but we also do investments in Europe. We do investments in European founders, I would say, but uh, we do investments in Canada. Uh, so, and those founders, we help them bridge the gap between their local ecosystem and the U.S., bring them to the U.S., help them uh, start their business here and uh, like expand uh, their capacity uh, in the market and uh, raise capital from the local investors. So that is the major kind of uh, strategic view. In terms of stage, we do early stages, typically later seed series A uh, with ticket sizes varying from, I would say two to 10 million, depending on the stage of the company. On average, it is something about four or five million, depending on, again, the circumstances, the market, the reaching and the kind of uh, setup we're talking about. So for just to zoom in on stage for a bit, um, uh, you know, from your website, it was looking like series A, series B. Um, so that's like relatively later stage, but you also do some pre-series A investing. And if you're bridging the company from Israel, Canada, Europe, and bringing it to the U.S., I would imagine you're getting in before the Series A. How early, or like, like maybe just talk a little bit about your portfolio construction. Like, how many companies do you expect to have in a fund? How many of those would be pre-Series A, pre-revenue, if you do that at all? And kind of like, how do you balance that? Are you are you seventy percent, you know, pre-Series A, or are you ten percent pre-Series A? Uh, the typical structure is the following that we have, we aim to have about uh, 25, 20 to 25 uh, companies that are at the uh, stage of uh, later seed and series A together. And uh, with that uh, in each fund. And that type of uh, portfolio construction helps us to get to the uh, numbers and to, to the economics that uh, we would expect from uh, early stage funds. And um, in terms of uh, pre-revenue and other kind of things, the philosophy is that we usually try to invest in the uh, companies and founders that have kind of minimum product in place and early customers uh, maybe they are not generating revenues, but uh, they they still have enough uh, confirmation of the mark, like enough market validation at some at some level. Uh, we like to understand that their customers are engaged with their product. They are the product is good enough that actually even if even if it is not perfect, but the customers can suffer that pain and still be using it and still be interested in uh, uh, in uh, working with them like, like as a design partners or I don't know, through the uh, proof of concept stage. That's the indicator for us that it is, it is going right way. And also it shows out that the team actually is able to execute through certain steps uh, in, the, in the life of the company. So I would say that the pre-revenue part of our investment would correspond to roughly 40% of our initial checks that we write. 
maybe a little bit less, but it depends on uh, the situation. But is that roughly forty percent of your capital, forty percent of the capital, or forty percent of the logos. Forty uh, percent of the initial checks. So our funds usually structured the way that we have like sixty percent allocated for initial checks, and forty percent allocated for following investments. Okay. Okay. So, so I, you establish so you establish a portfolio of roughly twenty five companies that are clearly pre-Series A. You got reserves of forty percent to double down into winners in in you know pro rata or super pro rata. Yeah, right. that, that's basically the model. And would you? It's funny. So you're. Um, I've been in the venture we, world. My, I was just saying, I've been in the venture world my whole life. But um, the Founders Club was an equity exchange fund, and so I didn't have a normal classic two and twenty fund investing until 2014. So our so your experience is is not that different than mine. Um, uh, maybe a little, you started maybe a little bit later investing out of a normal fund. We were doing, I've been doing SPVs my whole life. Like I've been mm. doing SPVs my, my, my whole damn life. But, um, uh, what have you, what have you learned that, that like you're doing differently? Cause like similar to you, um, I mean, I founded my own fund, so there's probably a lot of similarities, but for example, I've invested in companies that, um, I don't want to say their names that are return the whole fund investments. So, you know, you can't complain that one investment will return the entire fund plus. Um, but I wouldn't invest in those companies now. You know, like, like we're just getting increasingly focused. So like for you, would you, so what are you doing now that's clear that you would that you weren't doing in the beginning? Like, would you invest in a Boston-based company that was just born here, a couple of guys that went to Andover and then, you know, went to Harvard? Or, or, or are you really focused on bridging companies from outside in? Uh, we, we treat our fund through th like it, 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 it's very very important to 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 remember where you come from in terms of uh your experiences and as an entrepreneur as entrepreneurs ourselves all the founders are entrepreneurs uh in the past we we still continue to treat our firm investment firm as a startup at certain uh angle so we always leave some room for experiments so i would never uh cross the like uh draw the line and say that well that is what we would not do uh but we tend to do uh things that are more focused uh, uh in the space that i have just uh described but yet still we 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 can do and write check to to the boston based company that uh, as you as you batched like by mit or Howard founders etc uh why not like if it fits if it if it meets other uh criteria of our focus where we understand that we can bring value uh and where where it is uh, the uh, domain of expertise, enterprise software, as I mentioned, cybersecurity, whatever. Uh, yeah, definitely. And we we in Boston, there are, it's a, it's a great ecosystem in Boston to to look at, and we usually benchmark uh, all other companies that are coming to us through different channels from different countries with the uh us based peers and with other companies that we are seeing from new york from uh, the bay area so the 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 amount of uh, deal flow we are getting is uh, broad enough to to compare uh, uh apples to apples so i i would say it's it's um, it's not cut in stone 
Okay. So there's some flexibility there. The, um, yeah. uh, so I actually have a lot of experience in Israel. I used to go all the time and, um, and I, I, back then I would stay the whole week and I didn't even have like a bathroom break in there. It was a solid meetings book before I got there. And my experience is that you meet one person in, in Israel and they say, here's 10 people you have to meet. And you're like, well, my schedule is booked, so I'll have to come back. And then you come back and then they go, each person you meet says, here's 10 people you've got to meet and say, oh, I already know. I already know two of them. And then you come back and eventually they go, here's 10 people you have to meet. And like, actually, I know them all. I know them all. I know everybody now. And it's just an amazing, uh, it's actually a magical uh, startup ecosystem and vibe and like mission driven everything. But let's, let's talk about valuations. The, um, if you're investing in like kind of a seed deal, that's got that kind of revenue traction that you discussed, that's pre-series A, um, what would the valuation be for guys like you that are going to fund it when it's in Israel and then fund it again, when it maybe moves to the U S uh, is it, is it like, are you getting a good deal? Because valuation and inflation is not only like at the grocery store and the gas pump. Inflation in my 20 plus years of being in the startup ecosystem has gotten out of control to the point that, you know, you got to be careful that, to not be investing at a, a too stupid evaluation for a company that's got early stage risk and the and the exit points. And the exits are bigger too. Like AdMob, 800 million. That's like a pre-money valuation these days. You know, and, and you yeah, think of AdMob yeah. as like a, a transformational, you know, YouTube, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> like, so, so there's inflation on the exits, but talk about Israel versus Boston, Palo Alto, New York. Yeah, sure. You're absolutely uh, right. Uh, noticing the kind of ecosystem Israel is. It actually, everyone knows everyone. And uh, uh, to, to, to be a successful investor in Israel, it also means that you should be perceived as, as, as the, uh, the part of, of the ecosystem uh, yourself. And uh, it's very easy to make any reference checks in Israel. And usually uh, what we do and what we encourage our founders to do towards the investors, pr prospective investors, is to uh, do reference checks, but uh, not through the kind of context they provide, but through the kind of context you, you, you can sheet, actually. Yeah. 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 So, we call that off-sheet off -sheet reference off, checks, yeah, like not, not on the sheet, like. Yeah, when right, we do reference right. checks, we're not asking the founder to give us the name of the person and their phone number. Uh, well, we typically ask and not call those people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Israel. I think Israel is a good role model for the whole world. Of uh, you just got to spend the time to do other people favors, or else you're going to get kicked out from the ecosystem. So you just got to keep pushing it forward and helping other people, and you that that good karma will come back to you. You know that good karma yeah. will come back to you. You know, yeah, right. but, but specifically on valuations, like, like, give me some numbers. Let's say a company's got a hundred thousand MRR. So they're at like 1.2 annualized revenue and they're growing. It's B2B SaaS. And uh, the company has got customers in the U S and now they're ready to hire in the U S and, and maybe flip. W what does the valuation look like for a company like that coming out of Israel? What is the valuation for a company like that born out of Boston? As I've been observing, through last uh, 10 years, I would say that Israel was uh, like a little bit uh, behind uh, the US ecosystem for a long time. But then was a, some kind of point, 
and I would say it's uh, uh, around the COVID, but uh, I can't say it's uh, because of the COVID or after COVID, all the hype and uh, uh, a lot of uh, tech happened at that moment. But actually, it started before COVID. The Israel started to catch up with uh, valuation marks uh, and do, with multiples with uh, uh, the Bay Area and uh, uh, East Coast. Uh, the part of it is that uh, the Israel GDP is very dependent on uh, software and uh, tech uh, industry and uh, actually a lot of jobs created in that field and actually the success stories for most of the Israeli uh, entrepreneurs is like building a software company, going to the US market, raising money and all the kind of um, story. So it transformed into a very, very hot market on both ends, on the end of uh, building startups, but also on the end of uh, actually job market for the startups of developers, of other kind of experts, marketing, sales, etc. So uh, I think currently we are observing kind of correction in that field. But, uh, and I would say uh, it slowed down a little bit and, uh, but it lags behind to what's happening in the US. So US was the first to get into the hype and to the upper end of valuations. Israel lagged behind a little bit, but now US is correcting and uh, more reasonable, we see uh, more reasonable valuations uh, and uh, the benchmarks. At the same time, Israel is still hot in several spaces. Uh, I think uh, that it is, it is all for a reason uh, that I described the lack of uh, uh, like the hot, uh, the hot job market and the expensive, uh, uh, expensive talent. But um, also because of uh, good successes that actually come uh, from Israel as a ecosystem in, in the enterprise uh, software field. Yeah, um, you know what I think? I think that uh, if you really know what you're doing and you've uh -huh. got boots on the ground, you've got local Israelis that are deep in the ecosystem, you can get a good fair valuation investing locally at a pretty early seed level. And then if it's like something hot, like cyber, I mean, look, Checkpoint is like one of the original startup nation, you know, exits. Yep. If you've got a hot Israeli cyber company that flips to the US, all of a sudden it gets really high. So like um, almost like blockchain, um, you know, it, it, in my opinion, slightly overvalued. So there, there's a trick of investing in the company when they really need the first investors, and then it can go up pretty pretty fast. You and, and you kind of have high quick TVPI moic up marks. Um, it's a bit like investing in the YC company um, during YC and before demo day. It's almost like that. Oh, yeah. My observation is that uh, this kind of arbitrage of, of the markets is not there anymore. So uh, I wouldn't say that the, there is built, Israel has built a cohort of very talented uh, entrepreneurs and there are many of them. And uh, they know a lot of, uh, and as, as, we, as we talked before, everyone is helping each other. And that is uh, the great ecosystem that shares a lot of knowledge. So it actually enables people to understand 
how do things and how to uh, prepare and how to build the company at this early stage to make it more valuable. So typically what we see is that uh, this gap in valuations, it's not actually what matters. It, I, and we actually don't look at, so we, we have developed the kind of philosophy that we don't look for a cheap deal because sure. you, usually, usually the best deals, they never cheap. So uh, we usually try to develop the relationships with founders that actually are up to something and that, ha that have a potential to build something great. And we don't care too much how to pay in early or how much to pay uh, to do business with them. We try to develop like a value approach when they see that they are comfortable working with us in many aspects, like a founder friendly investor from the US that is actually understand the local ecosystem, but the gap of uh, uh, that they will have to close coming to the US. Uh, and founder friendly is important here. It's It's been a term thrown everywhere, but I think uh, understanding how how your investor would work with you when things are not going the best way they could is very important. And uh, to understanding how the investor can help you at certain situations and uh, when they are, if they are valuable for you, if they are focused on you, because like some investors have, we have 25 companies in one fund, but some investors have like uh, 21, uh, 25 companies each like, or whatever. Um, so I would say that the valuation discussion is typically not the part of uh, the major concern for our deal making in Israel, but more the potential and the um, capacity that, uh, that founders have to build the company that actually will return the fund. I think it's important to get valuation correct at a minimum to understand that, uh, let's say you get a 24 month cash runway or an 18 month cash runway that yeah, they will be able to, uh, progress from where they are now to where they're mm -hmm. going to be in say 12 months where you still have six months cash, or maybe you run more than 12 months and you had a 24 month runway. So maybe you run 18 months and you, you, you feel like, even in the worst case scenario, they're going to have made enough progress that we can raise a larger amount of funding at a higher valuation. If you get the pricing wrong, you're you're at risk of um, being out of cash, having to raise money, and you have not you know made enough progress to even grow into the last valuation. You know yeah. when when the you know the bright shiny object. Even even like you know revenues kick in and that that's sort of a certain kind of reality, and you have to really explain why the valuation is going up, even though, you know, the Bunsen burner science experiment doesn't really seem to be proving the thesis that customers are ready to buy this stuff. You know. Yeah. But, yeah. So, so so I mean yeah, but but you know you're right. Um, you know one of my lessons learned was you know, failing to convince my partners to come in at some high valuations of companies that, you know, that, that took off. I said no to the seed round of SoFi, which was 340 million or something pre-money valuation when they hadn't started to do anything yet. It was all just uh, 
a plan for a Harvard alumni to fund the next block of Harvard MBAs with student loans. That was the, that was the, and I was excited by that, but I was like, gee, three, three forty. If we sell at uh, 6 billion with 50% dilution to me, I made a 10 X, you know, is it really going to sell for like five times of YouTube? <laughs> you know, so, so sometimes, you know, you, you got to be careful, but I think the biggest thing is to make sure that um, it's going to be a walk in the park to raise the next round. And it, it's never a walk in the park. But yeah. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, uh, your expertise in bringing companies to the U.S. What works? What doesn't work? Like, what are some mistakes? I remember maybe 20 years ago, almost, I was helping Benny Arbel with my things from Tel Aviv raise money. And we actually got Excel in there. We had Kayak Raylander on the board. He was on the board of Facebook at the same time. The um, Benny would say that uh, he lived in Palo Alto. And I said, do you have kids? Where do they go to school? And, and he's like, all right, you got me. I live in Tel Aviv. You, you know, so he was kind of pretending to be in Palo Alto. And I instantly figured out, no, no, no. He, he spends a lot on, you know, air, you yeah. know air, airplane tickets. Uh, yeah, right. what, what works and what doesn't? I mean, do you keep, you know, how much of the, do you have to transplant the heart from Israel to the United States or do they stay there and they just hire a sales team? What, what works? What doesn't? Yeah, what we have seen is that actually if you want to be here in terms of uh, significant revenue generation uh, from the U.S. market, you have to be here permanently, uh, feet on the ground and to do do, uh, do sales yourself. So we encourage founders in early days to, to go and do sales themselves in the US. And uh, the reason why we do that is that one of the major, major pro uh, challenges for a new company, US company, outside company, no matter what, is to hire good salespeople. And uh, really good salespeople, they have, they would, be tending not to join early stage startups because, uh, well, too much risk associated with that. And uh, uh, sales, they have to, they, they still don't know if the, the product will be good to, enough to, 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 to be sold. And uh, they don't want to waste their uh, contacts and their, uh, their phone book uh, for, for uh, some startup, especially coming from, from abroad so when a founder comes and starts selling uh actually uh, it it creates a certain level of uh, culture and leadership that enables to build uh, a sales infrastructure around the founder and uh, uh, build the marketing and get the uh, early uh, team members that would support that growth so in majority of cases, I would say uh, moving at least one of the founders uh, is very important. And uh, uh, typically it's the, 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 the guy that uh, do, do sales marketing uh, or tech, a technical team is not that uh, necessary, but uh, like sales support engineers, they can be hired anywhere. Uh, the core R&D typically stays in Israel, but depending on many other things. Uh, 
but sales and marketing is something that you have to develop locally and uh, it's it's very important to be near your client and um is cost of living um you know i've not paid attention to cost of living in israel um tel aviv is the most expensive city in the world right now is it i mean it's a great city but uh so so, so is there any so there's no discount for having your engineers no no no, in, no. In, in israel if anything no. they, they think pretty highly of themselves <laughs> yep yep yeah okay so it's a bit of a talent war it's a bit of a talent war there as well Herzliya and all that yeah right and all those places okay mm -hmm. and so um what's exciting you the most uh technologically right now but like uh like I know you guys are broad and and you're free to do what you want to do, but uh, technologically, what what are you the most pumped about right now? What's the dream well, investment that comes next? Well, uh, I, I would uh, <laughs> I would I would say that uh, like you see the most recent news and the highlight of this year is actually uh, AI wave that we're riding right now. It's a little bit overhyped, but on the on the on the enterprise side, it actually brings value. We've seen uh, first of all there are a couple of public uh, uh, endorsements of AI, like BCG made some study with uh, OpenAI showing that uh, it, it actually increased the productivity of. Uh, BCG uh, consultancy, like 40% for those who was using AI. Yeah. It was yeah. pretty obvious that consultants would be among the first to yeah, but... get, you know, illustrate actual dividends. But on the engineering, yeah, right. it's crazy what's going on. Like, like yeah, go... but I have, a, I have a couple of other evidences that uh, show that uh, from our portfolio companies, we've been investing, investing in, uh, in, in that field uh for for a while and so for example one of our portfolio companies doing sales uh operations and automation for pharmaceutical industry uh they actually those those 40 percent look uh, like uh, uh, a very tiny fraction of what they actually achieve for uh for their clients uh in terms of uh increased like Imagine if if just impl implementing the software can increase uh, your sales for a blockbuster drug that is like billion dollars or two billion dollars drug annually, but just five percent. How much would you pay for that software? Yeah, yeah. We we have a similar. Uh, we invested in uh, Ryan Welsh's company, uh, Kindy, along with mm -hmm. like Dick Cram, like and Pivot North and Intel. It's it's, it's well funded company now and for the pharmaceutical industry their technology can read clinical trial data in seconds right like the computer can read clinical trial data the same as a phd woman with 25 years experience in basel switzerland and that woman in basel switzerland costs like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year fully burdened is the cost and they have a team of 12 of them slowly reading documents with expertise and kindy can do this in seconds to the point that uh side effects that are being discovered in real time can in real time be disclosed in you know what are the side effects does this cause balding or dizziness or whatever it's like bringing the pharmaceutical business to a whole new level 
And you know, every day a drug is not being put in your grandfather's mouth, that's considered a million dollars of lost sales per day. You know, so if you can collapse the time to get, you know, stuff out the door, you know, uh, it's a big, it's a big value prop. So the startup should theoretically be able to sell an annual license to, you know, Pfizer or Novartis, you know, for a price point that saves the work of all those people. Plus it's collapsing the time to get it out. It's avoiding, it's getting to like, you know, smart contract, programmatic compliance, you know, I think it, it, it's pretty damn exciting. So I think that it's overhyped in a way, but it's not overhyped in reality. And when it comes to software engineering, like people spoke in the early 90s about RAD, rapid application development. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the object-oriented software design and like kind of using Legos to build stuff. But it's truly Legos now of like, you know, the programming interface is just becoming English or German. You know, you know, I want you to stitch together. So we're seeing a lot of companies that like, okay, if Kayak were built today, it would be built completely differently than the way it was built then. And it'll be at a fraction of the cost. You need less funding. Every engineer is a Bruce Lee 10X engineer. So it's pretty interesting to us too. Um, so um, you, you were talking about, what are you guys doing that's different? And maybe talked about the genesis of how to raise a fund. I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast, you know, are trying to raise a fund or thinking about raising a fund. And you did that. Um, how did you raise your fund? And and then we'll talk about, and, and how does that make the venture capital landscape different than Kleiner Perkins raising money from endowments and pension funds? Yeah, right. It's, uh, as you, as you might know, that the most difficult thing is to raise your, uh, second fund typically, and uh, maybe third fund also, uh, meaning that uh, when you raise a second fund, you have your first fund, but it hasn't yet been mature enough to show like uh, prominent results. And, well, and how institutional were those LPs too? You know, like uh, yeah. this is where you and I probably have a lot of overlapping experience. Like what was the profile of the LPs that invested into fund one? Yeah, so... Uh, one of the one of the uh, major ideas we put behind the fund was that as entrepreneurs ourselves, we saw the value of the network that was helping us with other entrepreneurs who actually been there done that. So we and uh, actually who understand what it takes to build a, a software company. So we reached out to those, and we said we want to we want to build a fund that uh, helps people. Uh, entrepreneurs to build software companies like you did successfully and majority of our LPs they are tech entrepreneurs that are still in business they run their companies uh, they have a capacity to invest uh, significant uh, checks because like their companies are public on NASDAQ uh, but they are still in business so they don't have a capacity like to, to manage uh, 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 investments but they like the idea that they might be helpful in accelerating uh, kind of ecosystem that thinks uh, similar, shares similar values, and can can like stand on the rails uh, of their success at some point. So when when uh, when the founders get capital from Flint, they also get the access to or majority of our LPs in person who are tech entrepreneurs. And uh, 
I need to know that I think like hundred percent or maybe let's let's make like uh, some caveat here between like ninety five percent of our investors are tech entrepreneurs that are currently still in business. So that's uh, and that's it's, it's very similar. It's very similar to us, um, but we've thank God evolved a bit. Like um, the the number of LPs that we have which across four funds is well north of a hundred. Um, they are value added to the entrepreneur, but the biggest checks that we've taken into our funds um, have evolved to like wealth management advisors that manage billions of AUM and they have like 150 million for this. And like they're putting 20 million into our funds or, other ones are doing two and a half, five million checks. Whereas like we have we have a number of LPs from Israel that are like 600K, 500K. And uh, the tough thing about them is that they might do two or three funds in a row and be really excited. And then they realize they're getting old. You know, they're like, if they, you know, how long is this going to really take? And that's why we've had to innovate to come up with models to return the fund a bit faster you know, with a little bit of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. selling to ourselves, you know, like we'll do yeah, an SPV, yeah. we'll do an SPV and then we, and then to invest into the late stage growth round. Cause some guys are happy to make a two X in a year or four X if it drags on, but that would radically push down our fund, which is doing 10 X net of management fees. So uh, what we're doing is we're selling to ourselves. Um, so the fund sells like 10%. And then we, uh, some of the, a subset of the LPs buy into the SPV. And then we return, we try to deep, we try to minimum one X the fund before we ask you for money again. That's what we've yeah, had yeah. to do. Whereas, I don't think Kleiner Perkins would ever do that because they got like money from the New York City Police Pension Fund, who's going to be paying cops a pension 15 years from now. And so if it takes 15 years to, to wait for the lockup after the IPO, God bless Kleiner Perkins. But that's, this is the hard thing. Try to get money out of that same guy in Tel Aviv when you haven't one X yet the fund back to him. Or he's now looking at, he's like 68 years old and he's thinking ahead. And, yeah. you know, he's maybe got high blood pressure, you know I mean? Yeah, yeah but the thing is that when we talk to uh, LPs, we usually... Uh, talk about long-term strategy of the fund, and uh, we usually talk about the long-term strategy, long-term strategy of the firm itself. So um, we never like talk about okay, this is the fund you should put money in this fund. We say, well, there is a firm we generate these returns. Fund is just the form of like building the cohorts of investments. So what's your like? Uh, what could be the the annual allocation of your capital to that type of uh to that type of asset class early stage venture capital and we work from there meaning that the people who are working with they think not in a like i put money in this fund and i will wait for return they think about okay i'm generating x uh hundreds of millions a year and uh, my uh allocation to venture class is that and I can allocate to certain fund annually that amount. And uh, we're working from there. So we are working in the way that we know the commitment it will be lasting. Uh, 
will not be like for one fund. It will be commitment for a series of funds unless we don't deliver and they get unhappy. So it's it's not their pension money for their own. It's it's the strategy behind like uh, managing the class. So yes, definitely we do family and friends uh, in terms of like uh, smaller checks, like you mentioned. But uh, typically we we try to uh, to have at least uh, two million commitment, uh, at least two million commitment in one fund uh, from from an investor. Uh, so I would say that uh, in terms of uh, in terms of thinking of capital, institutional capital, they more or less think that way. Like when they make a decision to invest in certain managers, they they make a decision to invest in this, uh, like prolonged in, uh, prolonged relationship. They don't want to like do this work again and yeah. again, reevaluating the why, management capital. That's why we we do take the you know, say the accredited investor angels in to grow the network, because that becomes almost our secret weapon, our, our total differentiator. But um, the institutional investors are far more dependable to uh, commit to, uh, you know, a couple of fund managers like you, like Flint and 7BC to be in every vintage, you know, and, and even like Andre Yegi is the co-founder of Advec which is over 10 billion plus fund of funds from Zurich. That's all venture capital. And uh, he was the chairman of my previous company, the Founders Club, and he's in every vintage himself. And he was saying the key to being a successful fund of fund, venture capital LP investor, is to be in every vintage. Like mm -hmm. you don't know which benchmark is going to get Google. So you got to make sure you're in every vintage and to kind of plan for that. You know, that has not been our experience with our individual friends that founded a company, sold it to Amazon, made a lot of money, and then has a family and a spouse and a plan and he's getting older, you know? Um, so so they're less dependable to be in every vintage. And um, they often have very specific liquidity aspirations for their existing, you know, businesses that they're involved with, you know? Like, like a normal yeah. guy in Tel Aviv, his life will change if like, he was an, an angel investor in Waze, you know, like Waze breathed a lot of life into the venture ecosystem when that happened with Magma, you know? Yeah. Um, so what are you guys doing? So, so that's a little bit on the LP side. Um, what are you guys doing that's different? So, so how, there's a lot of VCs out there. You know, how do you think of Flint as, you know, every individual is unique, so therefore every partnership is unique, but how are unique or, or different? Yeah, Re uh, relevant uh, question. Uh, like I would, I would suggest to summarize a lot of things we we mentioned uh, today. Uh, first of all, as I said, uh, this entrepreneurial uh, uh, rails. So we can look at things from both sides, like from uh, from entrepreneurial side and from uh, investor side. So. We we actually try to to be uh, those guys that understand the challenges and uh, not not only business challenges but also uh, like emotional challenges and life challenges that uh, entrepreneurs uh, face when doing business, especially in the setup as we described when you try to bring overseas company into a big market like U.S. Uh, 
and that is a part of the thing that uh, I would say not that many firms can uh, uh, be distinguished with. Uh, and also the piece that we say that uh, uh, that we already discussed with the, with our LP base that is actually the playing coaches uh, in the market and uh, can give a lot of boost and uh, to 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 any entrepreneur they 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 meet or talk to. So that is the network that actually uh, is unique by itself. And the other thing is that. Uh, we, we, a lot of people promised that they uh, actually uh, uh, would be helping and etc. The 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 real matter is if you if you are doing your best to help. Uh, what it means is that actually you have to be there for the founder twenty four seven. Every founder that I work with has my WhatsApp, Messenger, whatever. Uh, I I try to keep uh, the conversation going every three four weeks with every founder we, uh, I, I I'm in 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 work with. They can call me almost every 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 time on the day. I am in the U.S. Uh, some of them are in, in 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 Tel Aviv, so the time difference, you know, is uh, the, the the thing. But uh, people can text me and say, "Can we call talk now? I need to talk something through you, and etc." Uh, also, Israel works on Sundays, so it's another piece of thing. Israel typically, typically works after dinner. In my experience, they say, "Hey." Um, I got to go because it's 7 p.m. here. I, I got my dinner on, but I'll call you at 9 o'clock. And yeah. that's just part of the luxury of living in the world's most expensive city is that, <laughs> is that they, they they tend to work. And that's when I was on the West Coast. I, I migrated to Austin, Texas during COVID. But I'll tell you, being in Boston, those three hours are so much easier on yeah. dealing with, yeah. with the Middle East time zone. Yeah. So uh, just being there... For, for the founder, always on call, as it, uh, as we say, is is it actually makes a lot of difference to 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 uh, to to other investors too. So, I would say the combination of the things, and we, our philosophy is that we we don't push anything, but we are always available. Uh, so okay. that means that, that, that's founder friendly. And um, uh, have you developed a way of ensuring communication between your valuable LP layer and the portfolio companies to, to animate the network? Have you come up with some specific ways of doing that? Uh, we try to address uh, questions on, 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 on a type of uh, as, as needed basis because uh, um, majority of uh, like the specifics uh, of uh, the business that uh, our entrepreneurs are doing, uh, you need to root it to the right right place into the ecosystem. So uh, automating that part is still like a question. We always have a question around uh, in the team. Maybe we should de dedicate someone like making this routing and collecting all the asks and uh, presenting them to 
uh, to the peer of advisors, or we do it on our personal basis. But because because we we actually, as as a, as a firm at the, the general partners, we, we we have our own connections to both sides, like to uh, uh, founders and to LPs. Sometimes we just route it through our uh, our own uh, network. I wouldn't say we have yet automated a lot, but. Uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's a constant discussion on how we, you should it, do that. We're thing. certainly not automated, but we um we always do a couple of events throughout the year where we invite the oh, LPs, yeah. we invite the portfolio companies, like building so, the platform for open you, you, conversations and just well, yeah. just you know you know it, it's a uh, serve drink, so people are alcohol, and then um, they're just mingling. Then we sit down, and everybody gets introduces themselves in like under 30, 60 seconds. And that's quite interesting. Then after dinner, the networking continues and people are like beeline for like, oh, that guy's the founder of Jeffrey's Bank. This is the guy who sold his ad company to Facebook. And that's the ad engine of Facebook. I need to talk to her, you know, like like that. And what we, what we, what we're, it's a little painful, but we've started doing a, a monthly um, newsletter to the LPs. And uh, we, we found that... Uh, they 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 want to hear from us every month, you know, and 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 it actually is valuable because it kind of forces you to do a little more LP reporting of call the founder when you're in your car or something, and then find out is there anything you want to include in my monthly newsletter to the LPs, and they're like, yeah, does anybody know anybody at Disney or something? You know, they have something that they want to know. Yeah, yeah and then yeah, something yeah. Inevitable, and and like I've even gotten to the point of like starting to put the founder's email. Because, you know, there's just too much going on for my my inbox and my death by Zoom and, you know, travel and everything else. But listen, uh, Andrew, I want to finish up with uh, Kaufman. You, you, you t t quickly describe like how that works. And, you know, if you're if you recommend it to other people, like what are you getting from it? What, what happens there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then we'll I, wrap I, I, up. I would, uh, yeah, sure. I would uh, top up a little bit to the previous question because uh, I was thinking you you were like referring to more like uh, some kind of software platform or something like uh, automated yeah. channel. But as a platform, as a social platform, yes, we do a lot of things in Israel. Uh, we, we we run kind of uh, kind of uh, networking events where our founders, potential founders. And uh, our co-investors uh, and angel friends come to the dinner, and then uh, they do something like that. We also been been very very happy in uh, doing some kind of sailing exercise with uh, with our uh, investors and founders together. On a, uh, when you sail, you can do things. Uh, you can uh, like uh, communicate on informal grounds. And uh, the barriers, uh, you don't need alcohol for like uh, lowering yeah, the yeah, barriers. Cool. Yeah, so we, we, we do that actually, typically it's once in a year because it uh, requires a lot of uh, a lot of arrangements, travel arrangements for everyone. Um, yeah, so on this field and uh, in Kaufman, it, uh, uh, a lot of those ideas actually came out from, from that program. So I'm a big fan of, of, of what, guys uh, at Kaufman are doing, it is very helpful in terms of establishing certain kind of um, values behind the players of the ecosystem. So everyone would 
it's like uh, you know, and VCA is the legal framework for uh, the um, uh, venture ecosystem to operate, and it makes uh, it advocates the ecosystem in uh, many ways uh, toward the government and uh, sets the legal framework for uh, VC. Kaufman is, I would call it, a value framework for values framework for VCs. People who uh, have passed the program, I would definitely say that they share a certain kind of uh, approach to what they're doing. And that makes very easy to, 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 to work and communicate with those who've been in that program. And uh, I think uh, for me, it was very important part that uh, they are exposed to every corner of the world right now. And you get a lot of perspective from the countries that you would uh, not be considering uh, as your like uh, business um, doing business there immediately, but you learn people from there, you know how they think about things and it actually broadens your horizons. Uh, so I'm a big fan of what Kaufman's doing uh, in terms of like hard skills and everything. I wouldn't say it's about that. It's not like a two, two year MBA program uh, full time. It's more like a networking uh, and value exchange and like background experience based uh, uh, exercise uh, that uh, I would recommend for those who actually want to want to uh, dive deeper into the into the what venture is about. Okay, awesome. And uh, well, listen, uh, we'd love to share more deal flow with you. Um, we're, we're always looking for companies that are getting to that 100K MRR mark. Um, mm -hmm. And we like entry point to be at that point, which I we refer to that as late stage seed. So it's pre-series A. And mm -hmm. sometimes we miss that and we're happy to have the entry point be series A. Um, so as you guys have companies that are either hitting 100K or or much more, 200, 300, 400, and they're still in that zone of Series A, by the time it gets to Series B, the multiples we expect to get are not satisfying our small fund. If you 2X a billion dollar fund, that's 200 million to carry that'll pay for the sailing trips and rent a Hinkley or buy a Hinkley, that's great. But uh, for you know for the smaller funds, we just do SPVs for the late stage and we only SPV our own stuff. So mm -hmm. we'd love to hear from Flint. Uh, we should set up a quarterly call or something uh, to go over stuff. And uh, and uh, I, I guess primarily Israel, but it sounds like you're also open to Canada, Europe. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. Coming here, coming here too. Wilson, gr great to meet you. Thanks for coming on the pod. And uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's stay in touch. Okay. All right. Bye, Pat. Bye. Bye.